Section 19 of The Ego and His Own. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Morgan Gold French. The Ego and His Own by Max Stirner. Section 19. Ownness, Part 2. If your efforts are ever to make freedom the issue, then exhaust freedom's demands. Who is it that is to become free? You, I, we? Free from what? From everything that is not you, not I, not we. I, therefore, am the kernel that is to be delivered from all wrappings and freed from all cramping shells. What is left when I have been freed from everything that is not I? Only I, nothing but I. But freedom has nothing to offer to this I himself. As to what is now to happen further after I have become free, freedom is silent, as our governments, when the prisoner's time is up, merely let him go, thrusting him out into abandonment. Now why, if freedom is striven after for love of the I after all, why not choose the I himself as beginning, middle and end? Am I not worth more than freedom? Is it not I that make myself free? Am not I the first? Even unfree, even laid in a thousand fetters, I yet am, and I am not, like freedom, extant only in the future and in hopes. But even as the most abject of slaves, I am present. Think that over well, and decide whether you will place on your banner the dream of freedom, or the resolution of egoism, of ownness. Freedom awakens your rage against everything that is not you. Egoism calls you to joy over yourselves to self-enjoyment. Freedom is and remains a longing, a romantic plaint, a Christian hope for unearthliness and futurity. Ownness is a reality which of itself removes just so much unfreedom as by barring your own way hinders you. What does not disturb you, you will not want to renounce, and if it begins to disturb you, why, you know that you must obey yourselves rather than men. Freedom teaches only. Get yourselves rid, relieve yourselves of everything burdensome. It does not teach you who you yourselves are. Rid, rid, so called, get rid even of yourselves. Deny yourselves, but onus calls you back to yourselves. It says, come to yourself. Up under the aegis of freedom, you get rid of many kinds of things, but something new pinches you again. You are rid of the evil one. Evil is left. Note. See note. Page 112. End note. As own, you are really rid of everything. And what clings to you, you have accepted. It is your choice and your pleasure. The own man is the freeborn. The man free to begin with. The free man, on the contrary, is only the eleutheromaniac, the dreamer and enthusiast. The former is originally free, because he recognises nothing but himself. He does not need to free himself first, because at the start he rejects everything outside himself, because he prizes nothing more than himself, rates nothing higher, because, in short, he starts from himself and comes to himself. Constrained by childish respect, he is nevertheless already working at freeing himself from his constraint. Ownness works in the little egoist and procures him the desired freedom. Thousands of years of civilization have obscured to you what you are, 
have made you believe you are not egoists, but are called to be idealists, good men. Shake that off. Do not seek for freedom, which has precisely deprived you of yourselves in self-denial, but seek for yourselves. Become egoists. Become each of you an almighty ego. Or more clearly, just recognize yourselves again. Just recognize what you really are, and let go your hypocritical endeavors, your foolish mania to be something else than you are. Hypocritical, I call them, because you have yet remained egoists uh, all these thousands of years. But sleeping, self-deceiving, crazy egoists, you Hyoton Timorum Enoses, you self-tormentors, never yet has a religion been able to dispense with promises, whether they referred us to the other world or to this, long life, etc. For man is mercenary and does nothing gratis. But how about that doing the, the good for the good's sake, without prospect of reward, as if here to the pay was not contained in the satisfaction that it is to afford. Even religion, therefore, is founded on our egoism and exploits it, calculated for our desires, stifles many others for the sake of one. This then gives the phenomenon of cheated egoism, where I satisfy not myself but one of my desires, e.g. the impulse towards blessedness. Religion promised me the supreme good. To gain this, I no longer regard any other of my desires, and do not slake them. All your doings are unconfessed, secret, covert, and concealed egoism. But because they are egoism that you are unwilling to confess to yourselves, that you keep secret from yourselves, hence not manifest and public egoism, consequently unconscious egoism, Therefore, they are not egoism, but thraldom, service, self-renunciation. You are egoists and you are not, since you renounce egoism. Where you seem most to be such, you have drawn upon the word egoist, loathing and contempt. I secure my freedom with regard to the world in the degree that I make the world my own, i.e. gain it and take possession of it for myself, by whatever might, by that of persuasion, of petition, of categorical demand, yes, even by hypocrisy, cheating, etc. For the means that I use for it are determined by what I am. If I am weak, I have only weak means, like the aforesaid, which yet are good enough for a considerable part of the world. Besides, cheating, hypocrisy, lying look worse than they are. Who has not cheated the police, the law? Who has not quickly taken on an air of honourable loyalty before the sheriff's officer who meets him? in order to conceal an illegality that may have been committed, etc. He who has not done it has simply let violence be done to him. He was a weakling form, conscience. I know that my freedom is diminished even by my not being able to carry out my will on another object, be this other something without will, like a rock, or something with will, like a government, an individual. I deny my ownness then, in presence of another, I give myself up, i.e., give away, desist, submit, therefore by loyalty, submission. For it is one thing when I give up my previous course because it does not lead to the goal, and therefore turn out of a wrong road. It is another when I yield myself a prisoner. I get around a rock that stands in my way, till I have powder enough to blast it. I get around the laws of a people till I have gathered strength to overthrow them. Because I cannot grasp the moon, is it therefore to be sacred to me, an Astarte? 
if I only could grasp you, I surely would, and if I only find a means to get up to you, you shall not frighten me, you inapprehensible one. You shall remain inapprehensible to me only till I have acquired the might for apprehension and call you my own. I do not give myself up before you, but only bide my time, even if for the present I put up with my inability to touch you, I yet remember it against you. Vigorous men have always done so. When the loyal had exalted and unsubdued power to be their master and had adored it, when they had demanded adoration from all, then there came some such son of nature who would not loyally submit and drove the adored power from its inaccessible Olympus. He cried his stand still to the rolling sun and made the earth go round. The loyal had to make the best of it. He laid his axe to the sacred oaks, and the loyal were astonished that no heavenly fire consumed him. He threw the Pope off Peter's chair, and the loyal had no way to hinder it. He is tearing down the divine right business, and the loyal croak in vain, and at last are silent. My freedom becomes complete only when it is my might, but by this I cease to be a merely free man, and become an own man. Why is the freedom of the peoples a hollow word? Because the peoples have no might. With the breath of the living ego I blow peoples over, be it by the breath of a Nero, a Chinese emperor, or a poor writer. Why is it that the G note, meaning German, written in this form because of the censorship, original form in text, G dot dot dot, end note. Legislatures pine in vain for freedom, and are lectured for it by the cabinet ministers, because they are not the mighty. Might is a fine thing, and useful for many purposes, for one goes further with a handful of might than a, with a bag full of right. You long for freedom? You fools! If you took might, freedom would come of itself. See, he who has might stands above the law. How does this prospect taste to you, you law-abiding people? But you have no taste. The cry for freedom rings loudly all around. But is it felt and known what a donated or chartered freedom must mean? It is not recognised in the full amplitude of the word that all freedom is essentially self-liberation, i.e. that I can have only so much freedom as I procured for myself by my ownness. Of what use is it to sheep that no one abridges their freedom of speech? They stick to bleating. Give one who is inwardly a Mohammedan, a Jew or a Christian, permission to speak what he likes, he will yet utter only narrow-minded stuff. If, on the contrary, certain others rob you of the freedom of speaking and hearing, they know quite rightly wherein lies their temporary advantage, as you would perhaps be able to say and hear something whereby those certain persons would lose their credit. If they nevertheless give you freedom, they are simply knaves who give more than they have, for then they give you nothing of their own but stolen wares. They give you your own freedom, the freedom that you must take for yourselves, and they give it to you only that you may not take it and call the thieves and cheats to an account to boot. In their slyness, they know well that given, chartered freedom is no freedom, since only the freedom one takes for himself, therefore the egoist freedom, rides with full sails, 
Donated freedom strikes its sails as soon as there comes a storm, or calm. It requires always a gentle and moderate breeze. Here lies the difference between self-liberation and emancipation, manumission, setting free. Those who today stand in the opposition are thirsting and screaming to be set free, and princes are to declare their peoples of age, i.e. emancipate them. Behave as if you were of age, and you are so without any declaration of majority. If you do not behave accordingly, you are not worthy of it, and would never be of age even by a declaration of majority. When the Greeks were of age, they drove out their tyrants, and when the son is of age, he makes himself independent of his father. If the Greeks had waited till their tyrants graciously allowed them their majority, they might have waited long. A sensible father throws out a son who will not come of age, and keeps the house to himself. It serves the noodle right. The man who is set free is nothing but a freed man, a libertinus, a dog dragging a piece of chain with him. He is an unfree man in the garment of freedom, like the ass in the lion's skin. Emancipated Jews are nothing bettered in themselves, but only relieved as Jews. Although he who relieves their condition is certainly more than a churchly Christian, as the latter can do this without inconsistency. But emancipated or not emancipated, Jew remains Jew. He who is not self-freed is merely an emancipated man. The Protestant state can certainly set free, emancipate the Catholics, but because they do not make themselves free, they remain simply Catholics. Selfishness and unselfishness have already been spoken of. The friends of freedom are exasperated against selfishness because in their religious striving after freedom they cannot free themselves from that sublime thing, self-renunciation. The liberal's anger is directed against egoism, for the egoist, you know, never takes trouble about a thing for the sake of the thing, but for his sake the thing must serve him. It is egoistic to ascribe to no thing a value of its own, an absolute value, but to seek its value in me. One often hears that pot-boiling study, which is so common, counted among the most repulsive traits of egoistic behaviour, because it manifests the most shameful desecration of science. But what is science for but to be consumed? If one does not know how to use it for anything better than to keep the pot boiling, then his egoism is a petty one indeed. Because this egoist power is a limited power, but the egoistic element in it and the desecration of science only a possessed man can blame. Because Christianity, incapable of letting the individual count as an ego, note, original German for ego, Einziger, end note, thought of him only as a dependent and was properly nothing but a social theory, a doctrine of living together and that of man with God as well as of man with man. Therefore, in it everything own must fall into most woeful disrepute. Selfishness, self-will, ownness, self-love, etc. The Christian way of looking at things has on all sides gradually re-stamped honourable words into dishonourable. Why should they not be brought into honour again? So Schimpf, brackets, contumely, brackets is in its old sense equivalent to jest but for christian seriousness pastime became a dishonor note i take enth destitution 
to be a misprint of Enterung. End note. For that serious cannot take a joke. Freck, impudent, formerly meant only bold, brave, frevel, wanton outrage, was only daring. It is well known how askance the word reason was looked at for a long time. Our language has settled itself pretty well to the Christian standpoint, and the general consciousness is still too Christian not to shrink in terror from everything unchristian as from something incomplete or evil. Therefore, selfishness is in a bad way too. Selfishness, note, eigenuts, literally, own use, endnote, in the Christian sense means something like this. I look only to see whether anything is of use to me as a sensual man, but is the sensuality then the whole of my ownness? Am I in my own senses when I am given up to sensuality? Do I follow myself, my own determination, when I follow that? I am my own only when I ma am master of myself, instead of being mastered either by sensuality or by anything else, God, man, authority, law, state, church, etc. What is of use to me, this self-owned or self-appertaining one, my selfishness pursues? Besides, one sees himself every moment compelled to believe in that constantly blasphemed selfishness as an all-controlling power. In the session of February 10, 1844, Welker argues a motion on the dependence of the judges and sets forth in a detailed speech that removable, dismissible, transferable and pensionable judges, in short, such members of a court of justice as can by mere administrative process be damaged and endangered, are wholly without reliability. Yes, lose all respect and all confidence among the people. The whole bench, Welker cries, is demoralised by this dependence. In blunt words, this means nothing else than that the judges find it more to their advantages to give judgment as the ministers would have them than to give it as the law would have them. How is that to be helped? Perhaps by bringing home to the judges' hearts the ignominiousness of their venality, and then cherishing the confidence that they will repent and henceforth prize justice more highly than their selfishness? No, the people does not soar to this romantic confidence, for it feels that selfishness is mightier than any other motive. Therefore the same person who have been judges hitherto may remain so however thoroughly one has convinced himself that they behaved as egoists, only they must not any longer find their selfishness favoured by the venality of justice, but must stand so independent of the government that by a judgment in conformity with the facts they do not throw into the shade their own cause, their well-understood interest, but rather secure a comfortable combination of a good salary with respect among citizens. So Welker and the commoners of Baden consider themselves secured only when they can count on selfishness. What is one to think, then, of the countless phrases of unselfishness with which their mouths overflow at other times? To a cause which I am pushing selfishly, I have another relation than to one which I am serving unselfishly. The following criterion might be cited for it. Against the one I can sin or commit a sin, the other I can only trifle away, push from me, deprive myself of, i.e. commit an imprudence. 
free trade is looked at in both ways, being regarded partly as a freedom which may, under certain circumstances, be granted or withdrawn, partly as one which is to be held sacred under all circumstances. For I am not concerned about a thing in and for itself, and do not desire it for its own sake, then I desire it solely as a means to an end, for its usefulness, for the sake of another end, e.g., oysters for a pleasant flavour. Now will not everything whose final end he himself is serve the egoist as means? And is he to protect a thing that serves him for nothing, e.g. the proletarian to protect the state? Ownness includes in itself everything own, and brings to honour again what Christian language dishonoured. But ownness has not any alien standard either, as it is not in any sense an idea like freedom, morality, humanity, etc. It is only a description of the owner. End of section 19. Ownness part 2. Recording by Morgan Golf French.